We're continuing, uh, for those that maybe are new, or if I don't know you personally, I'm Danny, I'm the pastor of Community Life, and it's always fun to get into the scriptures today. We're continuing this series that we're in where we're talking about questions worth asking. We've been tackling some tough ones, and we'll tackle more tough ones, and we can't necessarily always answer every aspect of the question. That would be impossible, and some of these are difficult, but... Hopefully we're making you think and we're encouraging you to dive into this book. This is the Bible, if you don't know what it is. Uh, and, and to dive into these complicated issues. We received a number of uh, questions around what, is it, what does the Bible say about raising children or investing uh, in our community, investing in the next generation. And so the question we're going to go after today, which I think, and I'll tell you why, is how can we invest in the next generation as a church community? Because that affects every single person in this room. Regardless of whether you have children or not, or grandchildren, we're all called to invest in the next generation. And I want to define what I mean by next generation, because if you're like me, your, your first thought is little kids, all the kids that are in maybe CP kids or in the nursery, or maybe you're thinking young adults. But I want you to think about the next generation is any generation that is behind you. So for me, I'll give you an example. The next generation might be my, my two boys. I have a nine and 11 year old. They might be the next generation for me, or maybe someone in their twenties, right? I'm 40. So they're, you know, 20 years behind me. But for me, I'm the next generation for someone else, like my father, who is going to be a certain age. I think he's 67. He was born in 55. He's going to be 68 in August. Happy birthday, Dad. Um, I'm the next generation for his generation. And if you're in your 60s, well, the next generation, you're the next generation for 80. You see what I'm doing here? It's not like it's like a scale. You guys can figure this out, right? We're all a next generation. So this doesn't just apply to children. And why this is important is, I want you to think about this. We as a church believe in this. We're a covenant community. We believe that God has made promises to us and we make promises to one another. And over the last few weeks, we've seen this happen where we have people up here. Maybe they make profession of faith. We ordained new elders and deacons. And when we do a baptism or somebody becomes a member, what happens every time during that point is there's a lot of talking here like this and they almost fall off the stage. And then we turn and we have you all stand up and we say, do you cross point church promise to pray and encourage and walk alongside and all the things. And you say we do. Yeah. See, you know, the language we're making promises to one another. We're invested in one another. I'm not sure we always know what that means or if someone's going to actually have us do that thing, but we do that. So the question becomes, what exactly is our responsibility to those coming behind us? And I want to suggest to you that it absolutely matters. It really, really matters. And it's something that we've been called to do. And I think we have to do it. And I want to kind of start backwards a little bit. I want to talk about what happens if we don't do it. Because that's like, sometimes like, let's get the consequences out first, right? Right, when we're talking to these kids, like, well, what's going to happen if I don't take out the trash? The Bible speaks to this, not to taking out the trash. But I want to suggest to you, what's going to happen if we fail 
to raise up the next generation because this becomes compelling and why we're going to talk about this. So the Bible has this incredible story in the, in the book of Judges at chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Judges chapter 2 starting at verse 6. And I'll let you turn there for a second, but we're going we're gonna to jump around a bit today more than I'd like, but that's just how it is today. And what's happened is, if you're not familiar with the book of Joshua, Joshua leads the people into the land of Israel, and God fights for them, and he was the successor to Moses, right? And he does all these incredible things, and they've all been gathered together, and then he's going to send them back out to their, to their different tribes. And it says this, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance to the 12 tribes. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So that whole generation. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110 and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, Perez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, aka they passed away, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, these are foreign gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them, they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asterisks. These are foreign gods. These are the gods of the people that were there before them. So what's at stake if we don't raise up the next generation? This is what's at stake. Joshua, somehow Joshua and those who came after him, they did not raise up the next generation it's mind-blowing when you know all the stories about what God did, how he had fought for them, and he fought wars with them, and he did miracles. And somehow, in the midst of this, they don't train up those who were coming after them. It's almost unbelievable. But a whole generation comes, and they don't know God. They don't know the stories. This isn't even that far removed. I mean, Egypt isn't that far behind them in their history. And, and somehow, they don't know the Lord, and they failed. And when I read this, I think, well, who is to blame? It's not the generation that wasn't equipped to do what God was calling them to do. It's the people that failed to pass the story and the love of God onto them. And because of this, they didn't know the Lord, and they didn't know what God had done in the past. And I would suggest to us today, and I'm saying this to myself, if we don't raise up the next generation, that's the risk, that the next generations will not know the Lord and they will not know what God has done. And church, God has done some incredible things. Amen? And don't you want the next generation to know that? Don't we think that that matters? The risk is really high. This is, this is really Important. And so we know what's at risk if we don't do it. I think I've established that. So, okay, Danny, well, how do we do it? <laughs> okay, you're going to get sermon is over. Good luck. Um, no. What do we do? How do we invest? And there's a lot of different ways that we could go with this. We're going to talk about four main things. And the first two are going to come from Psalm 78. So, like I said, I'm going to have you turn again. It'll be on the screen. We're going to read the first eight verses. 
And when I read this, you're going to see it's almost as if it was written as a reaction to Judges chapter 2. Hear the words of the psalmist in Psalm 78, starting at verse 1. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old. Things that we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. So they figured it out. They're starting to pass this stuff down. We will not hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. It gets passed along. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds and would keep his commands. Then they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. You can see the connections already without even saying anything. They started to learn something from their history. The first thing I want to say of the four things, the first thing is that we have to tell. We have to tell the next generation, whatever that is for you, we have to tell them the praiseworthy deeds of God. We have to tell them what God has done historically and what God has done in our own lifetime. We have to tell those stories. That's what verse 4 is getting at. See, in contrast to hiding the stories, we tell them. And that word tell speaks of like making a record, etching it in stone, putting something in a place that, so that we do not forget what happened because I don't know about you, but I am prone to forgetfulness. This is why we have historians who like write stuff down. We write it down. We don't want to forget because of this. Listen to this. This is your first villain. We have a responsibility, an obligation, and a duty to the next generation to tell them who Jesus is and what he has done. We have a responsibility to pass along the gospel message to the next generation. It matters. We shouldn't hide. I don't know why we would want to hide that. But we have to tell the stories to people. And here's where it gets a little bit difficult. When we start talking about all that God has done, we also are going to have to be a little bit vulnerable about how we share those stories. Because God's done these incredible things in history, but they're in contrast to the, a lot of the ways that we kind of mess things up. God's deeds seem so wonderful because humanity is so broken. The contrast is what makes people see God. Even in my own life, God's grace in my life is evident when I compare it to the things that I've done that I'm not really proud of or the places that I've messed up, the places where I've not done what he asked me to do. Sometimes we're ashamed of our past, and so we just want to talk about the good things that God has done. But, but we need the whole story. The next generation needs to know the struggles that we've been through. Even in Psalm 78, right, they don't shy away from the fact that Israel has not always been perfect. The Bible's full of stories that document where humanity has messed up, but God has still been in their midst. I want to encourage you to tell God's story, but to tell it honestly. Let me give you an example. So sometimes, and I'm sure I've done this and I've heard this from people, we love 
to talk about the good old days, right? The golden era, whatever that is. We love to tell sometimes these kind of nostalgic stories of the past where God did these things, but we leave out all the places where we kind (laughs) of, we doubted and we lacked some faith and, oh yeah, I forgot I said that and I did that. And so the story's just the really good things, but it's not really the full truth. Does that make sense? And what happens is the next generation, they hear those stories and they're just so lofty. They're so perfect. They could never live up to those stories. Well, nobody could because that's not the full picture. See, we can't get in this thing where we tell romanticized stories about the past that leave the next generation and say, well, I've never seen that happen. My life doesn't compare to that. I guess God's just not with me. I guess God just gave up on this generation. Those stories are not helpful because the story of God, the story that's proclaimed in this book, oh man, it's full of tensions and brokenness and it's full of God showing grace and mercy and forgiveness and God being with people and making a way even in the midst of their sin and their brokenness. We don't tell the story honestly. We do a disservice to the next generation. And an honest story of how God has been working is compelling to the next generation because their world is full of tension and confusion and brokenness. And if they feel like their life can never live up to the past, they're just going to give up. God must have just gave up on me. Why even follow? And so we have to tell the story. But the second thing is, well, we have to teach. We don't just tell stories about what God has done. We also teach the word of God. And this is in verses 5 and 6. It talks about teaching the statutes to their children and to the next generation. We want to encourage the next generation to get into this book. Everyone should be reading this, by the way. Let me just say, <laughs> put that out there. And I'm sure all of you read your Bible this morning before you came to church. Um, this book is incredible. We want, to inc- we want to encourage people to dive into this, to read it, to study it, to ask questions, even to challenge it sometimes. Because guess what? The Bible can defend itself. God's good. We want to encourage people to get into this, to take their questions to it, to get into the stories of God. We want to teach the next generation that they are part of God's story and that the Bible is alive and relevant for every generation. This this isn't just a book for your grandparents. This is a book for you. This is a book for me. This is the book that the kids are hearing from in CP Kids right now. This is the book they're hearing from in the nursery right now. The stories in this are real and they're powerful. And when we start to teach the next generation, it happens on kind of multiple levels. I'll give you three that I thought of. So when we teach the scriptures, we're teaching people theologically, meaning we're trying to help people understand how to see God, who God is. Who are we in relation to God? How do we understand him? And as a Reformed church, we're teaching how we understand God in terms of covenant and how this specific church in our denomination understands God. See, there are wrong ways to read the Bible. You can't just flip open, look at a verse, and make a bunch of conclusions. 
you will get yourself into some trouble. And so we want to teach the next generations how to read and interpret the Bible. But what happens too is we do that, our theology, how we see God, informs our morality. It starts to say something to how we live. Because of who God is, how is the gen next generation supposed to live? What are the things I can do? What are the things I can't do? How is God asking me to live my life here? Individually, and then at a larger scale, ethically. How do we, as, as a group of people, interact with the culture around us? How do we deal with our neighbors? How do we handle our enemies? What happens with what we want goes, comes in conflict with what someone else wants? What do we do? The Bible speaks to so much of that, and which is why we want to get people into the Word. It helps us understand how to live in this complicated world. See, the Bible's not just about answers, and though it has a lot of answers in here, it's not like a user manual or something. It's a story that we're being invited into, where every one of you becomes relevant in God's story just as much as Adam or David or Mary or Martha, because God is still working today. That's what the next generation needs. That's what I want to hear. And I'm assuming that's probably what you want to hear too, that, that God is alive and at work in this place. And I want to offer a word of, uh, I guess, caution a little bit as we teach. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 6, 4, he's speaking to fathers. He's talking about the family. He says, and we've all heard this, and I've heard this said to me as a father. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Have you guys heard this verse? Right? This is the verse that, right, wives say to their husbands as they're going to go up and discipline their kids. <laughs> Paul says something similar in Colossians. See, there's this thing that can happen where we, we, we don't always mean to. We, we, sometimes we come down with just like a heavy hand, right? I know I'm not the only one guilty of this. I see some nods. Yeah. But it's not just fathers who do this because that's not fair. Mothers can do this thing too. And anybody in authority over anybody else Right When we teach, it doesn't matter if you're teaching in Bible school, if you're teaching here or in your home, or whether you're teaching employees of the next generation underneath you, we can sometimes teach with such a heavy hand that people just reject the teaching because they're rejecting the person teaching, right? Isn't the saying you throw the baby out with the bathwater? I think that's right. I've got a few nods. Um, we don't want to throw babies out either because we love babies. But we're not, we can't come teaching the next generation as a bunch of dictators. No one likes a dictator, I'm pretty sure. We come as people who are, we are on the journey of faith with them. We just happen to be a little bit further down the road. Maybe we've learned some things, but we've also messed some things up too. And so as we think about the next generation, we need humility because what's going to happen is, The next, whatever the generation, my generation, let's say, around 40, we are having to fix things that the generation before me messed up. And the generation coming after me is going to have to fix some things that we messed up. Because every generation is doing some good things and also doing some things that are not as helpful. 
And so we need to have humility and grace as we instruct the next generation in who God is and how to live in this world, recognizing that we're not doing it perfectly either. We're all, and hopefully we're getting better, but we teach with humility. We don't teach as people who come down and condemn because that just pushes the, a chasm between the generations that becomes very difficult to overcome. Listen to these words that Jesus speaks in Matthew 20, speaking about authority. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus says you use your authority, and generations have authority. You use that as a way to serve people, as a way to lift people up. What if we looked at the next generation what if we said, I want to lift you up. I want to raise you up. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. To teach and to love and to train in a way that actually elevates people above ourselves so that the next generation can do things that we failed to do or we didn't even have the possibility to do. What if we looked at the next generation like that? Jesus is our example. The third thing, so we tell we teach, I'm making this really simple for us, just two words so you guys can memorize this. And we show, right? It's easy to tell stuff. It's easy to teach people. It is a lot harder to show people, right? That was quiet. It's a lot harder for me to show people. Do so, you guys all live out your faith perfectly? Okay. It's getting a little nervous here. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9, Paul is, uh, he's going to be ending his letter to the Philippians. He says this. Whatever you've learned, whatever you've received, whatever you've maybe been told and taught, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. So Paul's saying, hey, I've, I've told you what God has done. I've taught you the scriptures. And then whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've seen me actually doing, go do that. You know, Paul also says, like, follow me as I follow Christ. I always hear that. I think, man, that is a hard thing to say. Like, I want you to follow Jesus, don't follow me because I, I'm a screw-up and I'm going to lead you off the path. But it's not enough to just tell and teach. We have to actually model for the generations coming after us what it means to live a life of faith. We have to. It's difficult, but we have to embody these teachings. We must strive to live out what we tell and teach. So let me put it to you in two different ways. Who are you showing? Who are you modeling life for? For example, um, what are your kids seeing in you? What do they see you doing? How do they see you living? How do your grandchildren see you living? How do your nieces and nephews, how do the other people in the church, the generation coming up, how, what are they seeing in you at work? Maybe you own a company and you've got employees who are of the next generation. What are they seeing in you? <laughs> this is scary. If they were to live life exactly like you, would that be a good thing? <laughs> if my kids turn out just like me, would that be good? 
Maybe. <laughs> I hope so. In certain ways, I don't want them to turn out like me. In certain things, I'd love for them to turn out like Kaylin. She seems to have things figured out a little bit more than I do. Right? Because what you have to realize is people are watching. We are watching everybody else. We're trying to model our life after someone. Now, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about being authentic. We need to be authentic and genuine people. Not perfection. Strive for it, but you're not going to hit it. And by authentic, I mean, when you mess up, what do you do? The next generation's watching. They need to know how we handle disappointment. They need to know how we handle when we didn't get the promotion we wanted to get. They need to know what happens when somebody that's close to us hurts us. What do we do with that? How do we walk through those hard times? We're showing them what it means to take those teachings and the stories of God and help those inform how we would handle disappointments. Does that make sense? They're watching. Or guess what? When things are going really good, which we love, right? When you've got a job and things are good, they're watching that too. What are we doing in those seasons where there's not a lot of struggle? Do we just kind of push God to the side and feel good because... You know, all of our bank accounts are not in the negative. They're watching. We model through all those times. Does the way that we live reflect the things that we tell them and teach them? And then, who are you showing? Who in your life are we modeling these things for? So remember Jesus, he's a rabbi. And we have so much to learn from Jesus. I mean, everything, obviously. But Jesus is a rabbi and he's got disciples. And hopefully we know most of the stories, right? Jesus grabs a bunch of disciples. He's got 12 guys. He's hanging out with all the time, right? He's doing his thing, going through life. They're younger than him. They're the next generation for him. And he's teaching them. He's telling them things. And he's trying to live it out for them. He's showing them these things, right? But if, if a rabbi doesn't have disciples, I don't know if he's much of a rabbi. Right? If Jesus has no one to share these things with, it doesn't really make sense. You cannot raise up the gen next generation if you don't spend time with them. So if you don't have people in your life of the next generation, that's a problem. Because who are you, who are we modeling these things for? Right? We have to have people around us that we're investing in. So if you want to be a good parent, if you want to model something for your kids, then we have to fight to spend quality time with them. We have to figure out what that looks like, right? If you want to invest in the young adults of this era, then you need to find time to be around them, whether it's involved in ministry or whether it's getting together with them. If this church wants to make sure that we have strong leaders of integrity and good character in the future, right? Then those in the generation above me, your 60s and 70s, you need to be investing in my generation who are going to be your future leaders. You need to be telling us God's story. You need to be teaching us. You need to be showing us. You need to be mentoring us, right? Pouring into the next generation is going to have long-term effects for all of us. And we need it. I need people above me pouring into me just as much as I need to do that for the people below me. 
if we are not in relationship with the next generation, we cannot raise them up, period. It just doesn't happen. If I only surround myself with people just like me, I'm not going to have much of an impact. And I'm not trying, I hope this isn't coming across too hard. I'm trying to, a lot of us are already doing these things. And this church is, done, is doing an incredible job, but I think we all could grow in it. We all could be more intentional. And so we model. And then the last thing is that we need to see the next generation clearly. We have to see them the right way. When it comes to the next generation, there's something really important they have to remember. And I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. That isn't mean. There's no other way. Um, <laughs> the next generation is just always weird. Right? They always seem so strange. The generation coming after you. And I know this, right? For you, for you who are in the generation above me, I know I'm weird to you. I get it, right? I'm a weirdo, right? There's a song about that. Anyways, um, they always seem so strange. And I remember, I feel like for so much of my life, I was the young guy. I was the young kid. I, I, I was always the younger brother. And people used to call me kid. And then I was part of like this generation coming up. And it was like, oh, you're the new guy, blah, blah. And now I'm 40 and I don't feel so new. And you know, I don't know if I've peaked yet. I hope not, but it's possible. Um, but I'm looking at the generation coming after me, and I'm like, man, they're kind of weird. No offense. I mean, I know I'm weird too. And you know what it is? I figured out what it is, and this is profound. They're not me. Right? The next generation is never you. Right? Their hair's different, and their clothes are different. And they, they have different words for stuff that we don't know what it means. And their music, I don't even know if it's real music anymore, but whatever. And I'm sure every generation felt that. It all seems so different. Well, of course it is. Because they're growing up in a different world than I grew up in. The world has shifted. The culture has shifted. They're different because they're supposed to be different. I am much different than my father. He grew up in the 60s and 70s. Some of you did too. That changes your whole life compared to the world that I've grown up in. See, it's nor I guess I'm saying it's normal that the next generation always seems strange because they're not you. And here's the problem if we get stuck there. The problem is that we're expecting them to be just like us. And then when they're not, we get disappointed. And, we, and then we teach in a way that's condemning, right? You see how this thing starts to go. And because of that, we cannot see the next generation for who they really are. It blinds us because we can't get past the hair and the clothes and the language and whatever the thing is, the technology. We, it's like it, it, I don't know what the word is, like we can't see them. It's like a mask. And there's a story in the Bible that I think speaks to this really powerfully. Uh, it's going to be in... 1 Samuel chapter 16, and it's when uh, Saul, sorry, Samuel anoints David, King David. And what has happened right before is the first king of Israel was Saul. And Saul was, Saul looked like a king. It says he was head and shoulders taller than everybody. So shout out for all the tall people, right? Um, and he's like, it doesn't say if he was buff. I'm assuming he was ripped. 
Uh, he looks like a king, right? He's like got the protein powder. He's not even mixing. He's just chugging it like flat, right? And he's just doing his thing. And he looks like a king. And he is a king. The problem is he wasn't like, I feel bad. He just wasn't that good of a king. He did a couple of things he wasn't supposed to do. Made a sacrifice. That was a no-no. And then God's like, I'm giving you a paraphrase, obviously. God's like, sorry, dude. Time to find someone new. And so God sent Samuel, a prophet, to go anoint the new king of Israel. And he sends him to the house of Jesse. Jesse's got a bunch of sons. And Samuel comes to the first son, probably the oldest. He probably looks like Saul, probably looks like a king. And this is what Samuel says, or what he thinks. When he arrived to see the sons, he sees Eliab, he's the firstborn son, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. This is the guy, because he looks like I want him to look. It's got to be him. And then God whispers this. God, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, David, little scrawny David out doing the sheep thing, the youngest, his dad didn't even send for him to come in. They'd be like, no way, that guy's anything. And Samuel certainly wasn't looking out for him. See, David didn't even look like, he didn't look like a king. He was the next generation. They're weird. It's like playing with sheep and writing songs or whatever. I don't know. He's strange. And then this is what God says to Samuel when he sees him. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. He says, that's my guy. That scrawny, strange kid, he's the one. And I don't know if Samuel was surprised. It doesn't say it. I would assume he would be. I'm reading into the story a little bit. See, we need to intentionally see the next generation the way that Jesus sees them. Jesus is not looking at people the way that we naturally look at, sizing them up. He's looking past the hair and the clothes and the language. He's going after the heart. What if, what if we as a church looked at the next generation, whatever that is for you, as, as I've already said, what if we looked at the next generation and we said to them, you belong you are chosen. You are the one that God wants to use. What if every single generation heard that? You are the one. Can you imagine the impact that could have? Has anybody ever said that to you? I mean, gosh, if we said that to every generation that came up, can you imagine what God could do? And if we actually believed it, we got to get past the differences. Every generation's different. It's just how it is. We got to get past the external and look at people the way God does. See, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, right? I was a grunge kid. I had my bomber jacket on, my patches, playing guitar, shredding or trying to shred, you know, stewing my thing. I know my parents thought I was a weirdo. I know they did. I skateboarded, I'll live for skateboarding too. Got into trouble, whatever. Not bad trouble, just like skateboarding where you shouldn't, stuff like that. I know I was a weirdo. I was a product of the world I was growing up in. 
But you know what? People told me the stories of God. And people taught me through the word. And I had people who came in my life who modeled what it looked like to be living a life of faith. And I've had people in my life who have been teaching me to strive to see people the way that Jesus sees them. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for God using other people to do that. And I know a lot could be said for you as well. I want that to be everybody's story. I want us to look at the next generation and say, you are it. It belongs to you because God is with you. And I'm not worried about how you look. I'm not worried as much about how you talk. God has chosen you. And this is what I believe. I believe there are people in this room, in this room and online, who are waiting, regardless of age, they are waiting for someone to get past their external appearances and say to them, you are chosen. And as a Reformed church, (laughs) we love chosen. That's what we're about. Can you imagine if you heard that? See, our mission is to equip and send passionate followers of Jesus to renew our community and our world for Christ. There's no single generation that can do that. It's just too big. We need multiple generations to do that. See, we got to get away from, it's not, it's not us and then them, the next generation. That doesn't help. It's we. We're just a we. Because we're all the next generation. Regar- I mean, I guess if you're like 100, there's no one above you. But besides that, right, we're all the next generation for somebody. We got to pass this thing along. So I want to ask you, how are we doing at investing and training the next generation? Think about that today. Is there anybody in your life that you're pouring into? I'm not saying you've got to pour into a hundred people. I'm saying, are we spending time in our lives investing in other people? Right? We make promises to one another in, in in this community. I need your help to help raise my kids. I cannot do that by myself. And I have to help raise your kids and I have to help pour into the young adults and I need people pouring into me. And that's how the next generation gets equipped. I'll leave you with this. Jesus was all about raising up the next generation. It's what he spent all of his time doing. He had these people with him following him, studying with him, living with him. They're younger than him. He pours into them. Why? Because he was going to be gone at some point. And who's going to carry and take that gospel out to the world? At some point, all of us are going to be gone. I don't mean to get all doomsday on you, but none of us are going to live forever in this, in this life. Who's going to carry this thing on? Who are we investing in? It really matters. Think about who in your life today you could look at like a David and say, you belong and you're chosen and I'm going to invest in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and it's active. And it all points towards Jesus and what he's done for us, God. And we want to live lives 
the way that Jesus lived. We want to pour into other people. God, we want to invest in the next generation and those that are in CB Kids and those that are teenagers and those that are young adults and those are in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. God, we want to be people that are not just about ourselves. God, we want your stories and your word and your gospel to carry on long after we're gone. So God, give us eyes to see the next generation the way that you see them. Soften our hearts if necessary. Give us the courage and the strength and the willingness to go pour our lives into the next generation. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.